Hello, you're listening to After the Homily with Father Daniel Scheidt. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud. How many times have you had questions after the homily? How often have you wished that Father had spoken on this topic or that topic? Wouldn't it be great to sit down with your priest and just talk about those things that didn't quite make it in the homily? Well, this is the podcast for you. We'll talk about topics ranging from literature to politics, from church teaching to church architecture. If it's relevant to Catholics, to their daily lives and their journey to heaven, it's on our agenda. And it doesn't matter if you're a every Sunday or a Christmas and Easter or a I can't remember the last time I went to Mass Catholic. We're here for you. Father Daniel Scheid is the pastor at St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the Diocese of Fort Wayne in South Bend. Well, hello again, Father Dan. Great to be with you, Chris. Great to be back. Listeners, we are now bringing you the third part of a six-part installment as we journey our way through Lent using the book, The Shattering of Loneliness on Christian Remembrance by uh, Eric Varden, actually Bishop Eric uh, Varden. And it's been a great journey so far. Listeners, if you're just joining us uh, and you don't have the book, you can still get it. It's very easily obtained. It is not a heady academic, I have to be a theologian to understand book, which is why I'm able to read it. It's, it's a terrific book. It's not very long. And uh, we have really enjoyed our journey so far, haven't we, Father? Indeed. And I would say that in one sense, our podcasts are meant to be an introduction to the book, but also to provide some of the essential insights of the book. So strictly speaking, it's not required to read the book. The very title of it, The Shattering of Loneliness, speaks to the truth that the Lord actually doesn't want us to be alone in in the journey of our life, in, in coming to know him and love him. And so at the most basic level, this podcast by extension is, is meant to be a, a traveling companion, to have some accompaniment along the way. It's one thing to be told that we're in the 40 days of Lent and start praying, start fasting, start giving alms and, and go to your inner room and, and speak to your heavenly father and avoid hypocrisy. And, but without some type of, of mentoring in, in how to do that, the purpose of Lent can, can be so intimidating that we can get paralyzed and, and, and be tempted to go back. I'm reminded a friend of mine um, who tends to be a glass half empty, perhaps kind of person said that uh, there was a saying that he recalled growing up that life is Lent. It's painful. Right. <laughs> as if, as if Lent isn't the new springtime. Lent is the, the separation of, of who we truly are and are meant to be in, in the eyes of God from, from our false self, what, what needs to go. And so for, for whatever pain Lent may involve, it, it really is meant to be a, a, a liberation and a, in a sense, a rebirth. So the chapter headings of Varden's book all have to do with remembering. And each one of them is a particular exhortation to remember from, from biblical revelation. And so if you remember the, the first chapter, remember you are dust. 
And that first meditation is meditating on the fact that we once were literally nothing and now we're something. We once were dust and here we are. And to live from that, that wonder-filled gratitude that, that our whole life is, is a gift. That's the first and foundational remembering that, that we must never forget. Our, our life comes to us as a gift. It is a gift. And of course, it's meant to be given as a gift. The second chapter, the one we went over last week, is remember you were a slave in Egypt. So the further recognition that we've been brought into existence and we've not lived up to what, what we are, uh, what, what we're meant to be, we've sinned, we've failed in, in the sight of God and of each other. And other people's sin and failure has also wounded us. But, but the fact that we're here right now at this moment means that the grace of the Lord has carried us and always remembering that this gift that the Lord has given us has, has also been cared for by him. And, and we've been spared to this very moment for, for a purpose. We are not the sum total of our unfreedoms uh, from our bad choices or other people's bad choices for that matter. We're, we're meant for this, this movement of ongoing liberation to what's called the, the promised land, uh, the, the fulfillment of, of our life in, in communion with the Lord. So our life is a gift. Our life is a liberation from what enslaves us, even if we're still <laughs> realizing that, uh, however partially, which brings us to today, Chris, the, the third command that comes from the mouth of Christ himself, remember Lot's wife. <laughs> a rather unusual title, I'll, I'll admit. I, as I looked at the title, I thought, I can't imagine how this chapter is going to go. Hmm. And And he starts off pointing out that this is, you know, derived from Luke chapter 17, verse 32, in a, in a rather unusual passage that we just don't hear that often in the readings at Mass. Yes. In fact, one would have to go to Mass on Tuesday of the 13th week in ordinary time <laughs> to hear the particular passage in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, to which Jesus is referring. Lot and his wife are inhabitants of the town of Sodom, of Sodom and Gomorrah infamy, a town given up to its lusts and to taking advantage of other people through those lusts. And Lot and his wife are given the divine command to, to flee, flee that town. And as it famously says, this is into Genesis chapter 19. The sun was just rising over the earth as Lot arrived in Zoar. At the same time, the Lord rained down sulfurous fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and the whole plain together with the inhabitants of the cities and the produce of the soil. But Lot's wife looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. So that image of 
the turning back to what needed to be entrusted to God's judgment, that clinging to what God wanted to purify and liberate us from is, is deeply tragic in its, in its consequences. In fact, uh, life-taking. So, so Bishop Varden walks us through sort of three main perspectives, you might say, of what's the message about Lot's wife? You know, what does she mean? What does, what does she do wrong? And what does that mean for us? But it's, it's really rather fascinating. Yeah, she, what did she do wrong? <laughs> in, in the Old Testament, these striking images of the interior action of, of the person having the most striking exterior consequences, it, it really concentrates the whole spiritual choice in a, in a very unforgettable embodied consequence. And in the case of, of Lot's wife being turned to salt, when I read that, I, I can't help but think of, of several of the Psalms. In fact, the first Psalm comes to mind where it speaks of the just man who doesn't follow the counsel of the wicked or go in the way of sinners. That just man is like a tree planted near streams of water that yields its fruit in due season. Its leaves never fade. Whatever it does prospers. And in, in the most obvious sense, the human body is composed largely of water. And uh, for somebody who lives in a, in a world threatened with drought, a, a world that needs constantly to be reclaimed for cultivation necessary for survival, the the nightmare of being without water, deprived of water, is in a sense the, the, the natural horror that needs to be avoided. And sure enough, in the first Psalm, uh, it speaks of, of the wicked man being like chaff driven by the wind and, and not surviving uh, judgment. That's picked up uh, in another Psalm. This is just to give some, some biblical background to this image of Lot's wife being turned into salt. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, for you I long for you, my body yearns, for you, my soul thirsts, like a dry, weary land without water. So I look to you, Lord, in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, for your love is better than life. My lips will speak your praise. I will bless you as long as I live. So the psalmist explicitly renounces a life that is not turned to the Lord. He, he explicitly embraces a life turned to the Lord, knowing that that life, in a sense, is going to produce the life-giving water in him that sustains him. So essentially, and most basically, um, Lot's wife being turned into salt is the act of refusing the waters of life, the future that the Lord has planned for our fruitfulness on his terms rather than our own. 
So he points out, and listeners, at the bottom of page 63, he talks, he, he states, on this remembrance of Lot's wife, it makes us ask really the question, why? You know, why did she turn back? And he points out, why did she not understand the need to move forwards? And he goes on to say, she points to the ever-present task of believers to make Christ call clear to their times, lest by their failures to bear witness, others could, could be hurt. That she just didn't see the need to keep moving. She wanted to go back. And in that sense, all of us bear the temptation of Lot's wife. When our present situation is really tough, one possible option is just to retreat to the past. Sure. To say, I, I cannot go on. I refuse to go on. And, and then we look back on the past and, and there are several things that can go wrong. The first, we can look at the good things of our past and, and, and curse our present and future and, and just go back to those good things and, and refuse anything more. A second bad possibility would be various evils in our past, um, various sins that have had more than a little pleasure attached to them. So think of, you know, Sodom, the, the place characterized by lust and taking advantage of people within that lust. It's very tempting to want to go back to the earliest pleasures, especially if those pleasures were, were not, you know, not found out at least right away or, you know, continued for a time. And maybe a final way of seeing Lot's wife, it's also the temptation to get lost in the would have, could have, should have, to get lost in the hypothetical. You know, if only I would have married this person rather than the person I've married. If only I would have not left that job if only I, I could have done that, then my life would be good. But because I didn't do any of those things, now I hate my life and there's no future. So all of them come down ultimately to a, a refusal to look to the goodness of God as the caretaker of our good future. You know, when St. Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul's, you know, just graciously thankful affirmation of, of the future that, you know, of, of course we, we can't see it and hear all of it. Uh, but it's precisely because the Lord is so good. And if, and if we knew all the goodness ahead of us, we would die of joy. It's because the Lord doesn't want to kill us that, uh, that we're, we're only allowed to see the portion that we're allowed to see. And the fact that the Lord warns Lot and his wife not, not to look at what they need to leave behind, there's a, certain, there's a certain sense in which evil can be hypnotic. Um, it can be fascinating. So we're drawn to scroll through all the bad news. And, and that, that itself can paralyze us and, and make us hate our life or, or curse 
our life, other people's life, even curse God. And, and all of that actually needs to be left behind. Hence, Jesus' command, remember, Lot's wife. The second, um, I guess, maybe perspective on Lot's wife that Bishop offers is, here I'm on 64, listeners, is he casts Lot, who looks ahead, as a symbol of reason, his wife as a symbol of the flesh. And then he goes on to point out that the, the flesh is that that always looks backwards toward the vice, as you're saying, uh, while the mind tends uh, forward towards salvation. The flesh always looks over its shoulder, seeking pleasure, kind of pleasure of the past. Right. So <laughs> Bishop Varden is a student, not only of sacred scripture, but also of the earliest interpreters of scripture. Mm-hmm. And so some of early Christian interpretation of scripture sought to see how the different figures of Lot and his wife uh, represented different aspects of, you might say, the the human soul uh, in relation to God. And there there is a certain sense to which it, it's it's true. I I think Bishop Varden would agree that you can't push this too far <laughs> by saying Lot is the good reason and and his wife is just this uh, fleshly uh, mess for several reasons. First of all, Lot doesn't come across in the Book of Genesis as a uh, particularly much of a leader, faithful, <laughs> right husband. But again, it the story underlines the fact that each one of us, for example, in this case, in in the memories of our flesh, in our wounded instinct, are drawn back to the most intensely pleasurable moments. Our body has a memory for those, and if if we don't bring the the rational decision to move on from those those early pleasures then they will continue to exert a non-rational influence on us and actually become destructive so for example one's first experiences with alcohol if those experiences were happy and fun filled even if they led to excess, well, if if our whole life is moving from one simulated college party to another, our humanity is actually stunted at best and and actually threatened at worst because our body actually isn't meant uh, it's not it's not designed for the uh, continual college party and that I mean that that goes for pleasures across the board. And so the memory of Lot's wife is the memory of how inadequate her focus was in light of the alternative. I mean, the, the Lord is, is not only rescuing her from harm, attempting to, but actually pointing her to a horizon of, of salvation, of, of happiness and, and fulfillment. And so the, the tragedy is double. It's, 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 it's investing in what isn't going to uh, produce life and it's refusing what, what is. Yeah, I think there's something that seems, you know, human nature-esque about 
almost a romantic memory of the past. You know, the good gets great and the bad somehow less bad, whether that's relationships or, or all a variety of experiences that I think that's so comforting. We like to do that. It's easy to slip into that. Yes. Uh, and I find when I, when I think of childhood memories, you know, how big was the fish really? And right. how, how terrific was the experience? <laughs> because we love that. I like this phrase that he uses in the next paragraph. He says, nostalgia for comforts can uh, quench the flame of faith. That's an interesting set of words. There. Yeah. Well, and, and Bishop Arden <laughs> brings up the, the, the comical reference in uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 5, that the people of Israel, you know, in the process of being liberated for this, this great future with the Lord, what, what do they remain focused on? <laughs> Quote, what they had. <laughs> the fish that we ate in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. And it's just so breathtaking because, first of all, the people in, 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 of Israel in Egypt are slaves. They're literally beasts of burden. Yeah. I mean, they're being mistreated by their taskmasters. And, and all they can think of when they're hungry is the fish, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. And <laughs> there's something about our, our fleshly appetites that uh, they're aiming too low. A human life is not the sum total of the flavorful meals. And especially when the Lord has prepared a banquet in which we're meant to enjoy him. And then in enjoying him, all, all of the other joys that, that he's created. And, and the third sort of perspective, I guess, on Lot's wife, Bishop Varden takes a different direction. Interestingly, he, he points out this idea that maybe she turned back because the idea of turning forward was just too painful. Yes. Maybe it was logical and made perfect sense, but it was just too much. And uh, he points out uh, Lot's wife knew that to follow God's shining agent uh, may come at a cost that just seems unbearable. Yeah. Yeah. And here, I think Bishop Varden just shows the psychological complexity that that biblical revelation illumines. I, I think one of the, the challenges of reading The Shattering of Loneliness is that, that Varden is a very literate and literary man, and he often draws on such a wide array of, of literary references, you know, Russian novels and all these characters that he explains that it's, it's possible to get intimidated and to think, that, well, if I didn't read that novel, how am I going to understand? But, but I've, I find that if, if you patiently mm. stick with him, he discloses the reason for it. So, you know, when he mentions a novel by, uh, by Tolstoy. <laughs> I thought and, you would say that next. <laughs> yeah. And, and just the complexity of the decisions the characters make and why they make them and how the consequences play themselves out over time. Varden is actually underlining the, the seriousness of the complexity of our lives. I mean, these biblical characters, stories, they're not cartoons, <laughs> they're mirrors. And if, if we look at them long enough, we will see ourselves staring back at us and the multidimensional 
quality of our life will be revealed because the choices that every single one of us makes regarding how we're going to treat this person, what we're going to invest in, uh, what are our hopes, how do we deal with adversity, all of those, as we bring them to the Lord for, for illumination, for healing, for transformation, our life is going to become fuller. Our life is going to become less and less like a cartoon. And when we're at we're worst, our worst, you know, like, oh, I hate my life. There's no, there's, everything's going wrong and nobody loves me and everything's falling apart and I have no blah, 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 blah. It's then that we become like a cartoon. But to, to be confronted with the saving word of God, remember Lot's wife. And, and Jesus is essentially saying in so many words, look at me as you, as you look at her and what happened to her. Look at me. And, and what does Jesus promise us? Uh, living waters. Mm. Uh, he, he promises us life and life in abundance. And the amazing thing is, for example, the woman at the well, Jesus is thirsty. She's thirsty. And, and her life is a mess. She's been married all these times and she's scared to be seen. And then, um, as we mentioned in the last podcast, no sooner does this woman have this conversation with Jesus, who, by the way, promises her living water, you know, talk about what's going to prevent you from becoming a pillar of salt, that she starts announcing to the whole town, come and, and, and see this man who's told me everything that I've ever done. And she does it joyfully. There's a woman who is not afraid to, move to look at her past, totally surrendered to Jesus, but to look forward. Mm. And, and I can't wait to share what with other people, what I've seen in the Lord. You know, he's given are. me my future. <laughs> here we are in Lent, and it will see, by God's grace, the entry of new Catholics into the church. But it reminds me, you know, I think it was St. Augustine that said, make me holy, but not now, right? right. You know, people, I, I get Actually it. make me chaste, oh, but not yet. <laughs> right, not yet. You know, there are people that are probably looking at the church or maybe looking at returning to the church from a long time away, and they think, I know it's right. I, I know it's over there but I just can't quite get there now. Yeah. It's too painful. Yeah. Um, and Jesus is saying, um, hesitation is deadly. Just, right. just, just jump. To stand still. Take, yeah. Take the leap. I remember my, uh, my dad wanted me to go on a roller coaster with him. He knew deep down that I needed a roller coaster because I was a roller coaster for my my family. And it was called the Wild Mouse. It was at Kitty Land in Cherville, Indiana. And I still remember going up the, the steep ladder with him. And I got to the top and I was paralyzed. I refused to get on the ride. <laughs> and I remember my dad telling me, there's no going down. It's not a choice. You can only get on this ride. And I did. <laughs> and I rode the wild mouse and I lived to tell. You're and better for it. Yeah, um, exactly. And 
it's actually a mercy of God to be told that not choosing is itself a choice and it's deadly. You must choose. What, what do you say to those uh, listeners that find themselves in that position? They want in, they want to come in, but they just don't seem to be able to make themselves get on the roller coaster. Yes. How, how, do, we, how do we get them off the ladder onto the roller coaster? Yeah, I, I actually think Bishop Varden is writing this book as a step-by-step meditation to consider, in a sense, rationally, in light of faith, how to do that. Mm. So to start us off with wonder, you know, remember that you are dust, it, it actually shows that our life is a gift in a, in a way that's deeper than our fears. In other words, we've been brought into existence by a goodness that, that predates our, our fears. And then, you know, remembering the slavery in Egypt, that memory means that God isn't intimidated by our sins, failures, and weaknesses. He, he accompanies us. And so it's okay. And then today, you know, uh, remember Lot's wife we're getting the reassurance that it's only the looking forward that that's going to provide the way forward. And if we get stuck, we're going to need to remember someone greater than ourselves. And that, that someone is, is none other than, than Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And it's an unusual kind of juxtaposition here at Easter in that we're celebrating this brutal, horrific torture of Jesus. And then at the same season, we celebrate the entry of these brand new Christians uh, into the church. But the outsider would say, why would anybody join a club like that? You know, that, that had this horrible thing happen to its founder. But, you know, to your point, stepping in is greater than what's outside. Well, and and Bishop Varden is shepherding us step by step. So we're going to have to look at in a future podcast, because in a future chapter of his book, why would Jesus on the night before he dies say, do this in memory of me? And just as a kind of a sneak preview, to entertain the idea uh, to embrace the truth that God thought so much of us that he would himself enter our pain to come to meet us, that, that he would go after us precisely to meet us where we are and, and to carry us. So to your uh, earlier question, those people who are just stuck, mm. I can't do it. The Lord carries us and to realize that we're being carried so it's, it, for example, it's not a coincidence that you're listening to this podcast right now. It's not a coincidence that the yearning in your heart has brought you to the point where you say, I cannot do this on my own. I can't do it. Well, the title of the book, The Shattering of Loneliness, the, the happy news is you don't have to do it. <laughs> all yourself <laughs> and it's impossible. And 
And to realize that it's impossible on one's own is itself a mercy to know that I, I need help and that the Lord will put those people in my life to, to bring me along. And that's why in the church, every person seeking baptism, every person seeking to be received into full communion with the Catholic church is given a sponsor, mm. a mentor. I mean, it's the two by two plan of <laughs> Jesus. He never sends people out alone. They, they go two by two and small groups so that anybody who encounters them knows that we, we never have to be alone. Mm. In the most humble way, I'm reminded, uh, well, I should back up. This might be one of those areas where we converts have a little bit of an advantage. Absolutely. Over the cradle Catholics. Absolutely. Because I remember coming into the church in the Easter Vigil 2007 and Monsignor John, I was talking with him and I said something along the lines of, I can't believe I've I've gotten myself here or, or some similar set of words and the most humble. How kind, I got myself into this. Right? <laughs> and the most humble Monsignor John way, he said, it probably has less to do with you than you think. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but to your point, we're not here by mistake. You're not listening to this podcast by mistake. It's, it's a reason, it's a journey, and you're on it. But you still have to take the step off the ladder to get on the roller coaster. You know, finally, a, a little bit of a comparison or maybe, a, I guess, a contrast. So last episode and last chapter, we were sort of told of the greatness of remembering. Remember, you're a slave. Don't forget that. He finished with that interesting passage, the Egyptians forgot by noon the graces that God gave them that morning. But this chapter, it's the opposite. Remembering could be trouble. He, he even points out in, around page 80 that, you know, remembrance can lead to temptation. So it's, it's both and, isn't it? Yes. And that's why the relationship with the Lord is a living one and it needs it needs to be pursued as that. It's, it's not a question of a kind of a handbook where you just master the maxims and, and, and figure it out. It's, it's a living relationship with the living God. And there are times when we look back on our past and we do so precisely to acknowledge the grace of God working there, precisely to bring us forward. There are other times when we look at the past because we're feeling sorry for ourselves, um, we're intimidated by, by the present or the future, and you know we just would go, want to go back to what's comfortable, or as I said, uh, even more perniciously, to um, get tangled up in the hypotheticals of what I could have done, what I should have done. And the Lord wants to reassure us that he has greater things for us than getting stuck there. He's come that we might have life and have it in abundance. He doesn't want our past to shrivel up, to desiccate our uh, relationship to our future. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I think of the lyrics to a popular song, and, and I actually, I'll admit I have this image. Almost every time I see you standing at the altar and Mass, and the lyrics say, you know, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. But you have to step. It's he, true. He doesn't just suck you there on a plane. It's You've true. You've got to walk through the waters of baptism, through our architecture, through literally and figuratively, you have to make that step. Yeah. I have to say, reading this chapter, <laughs> there were two songs that came to mind. And because I really am not a musically uh, literate person, they're just from my 
from my past, my high school years. And one of them has the line, uh, I want to go back and do it all over, but I can't go back. I know. So I have no idea who's saying that, you know, I want to go back <laughs> and do it all over. Yeah. So Lot's wife shows us that you, you can't do that. Or there's consequences and, if you do. Yeah. And our whole life then would just be getting stuck in nostalgia. The other, the other teenage song that I remember, and I think it's from a group called Mr. Mr. Don't quote me on this. <laughs> I'm so pathetic. Kyrie uh, eleison, down the road that I must travel. Kyrie eleison, through the highway in the night. So, uh, Kyrie eleison, down the road that I must travel. Kyrie eleison, on the highway in the night. That, I actually think, illuminates Lot and, and the way ahead. So, Kyrie eleison is the Greek for Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy on the road that I must travel. Lord have mercy on the highway in the night. And the mercy of God is always pointing us forward, not to leave the past behind, but to allow the Lord to redeem the past as we move to the future that he's prepared for us. And I can't wait to see what the next chapter is gonna hold. Well, listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of After the Homily as much as we have enjoyed bringing it to you. I hope you'll plan to join us regularly for future episodes. Are there topics that you'd like to hear about from Father Dan? Do you have a question that you'd like answered? If so, we would really love to hear from you. You can email us at church at saintv.org and type After the Homily in the subject line, please. Or you can text message me directly at 260 260- Four five zero eight eight seven eight, and please start the message with after the homily. Uh, a special thanks to our friends at Spoke Street Media for producing this podcast. Without them, it would simply be impossible. You can enjoy an endless variety of amazingly authentic Catholic content by visiting spokestreet.com. Join us for our next episode in this six-part series, and it will be chapter four um, in Bishop Eric Varden's book, The Shattering of Loneliness on Christian Remembrance. And chapter four is titled, Do This in Memory of Me. Father Dan gave a little bit of a teaser for that episode, and I know that it's going to be a great discussion. Again, special thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and thanks again for listening to After the Homily with Father Daniel Scheidt. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.